All right. Uh, thank you for inviting me to present on this topic. I know this is um, this is a, a this is a popular topic. It's one that um, is definitely full of a lot of different angles one could take. Um, when I was initially talking with Dave about this presentation, uh, he said, "You know, a lot of people may not even know much about APIs. You know, don't don't throw us into the deep water um, uh, already." Uh, hold on, let me just look at the uh, the chat here. Yeah, somebody wants to know if they can record it. Sure, yeah. And I also just sent out the the uh, link to the slides. All right, so and, and I'll check that that chat periodically. Um, all right, so he he said we want to make sure that people who are new to API documentation or who may uh, not have heard of Open API or Swagger aren't just sort of left behind. And and by no means am I going to dive into intense technical detail or go on a route that, you know, requires all kinds of foundations. So uh, this is a this is a great approach to API documentation, even at a beginner level. Um, let me start out by just giving an overview of what we're going to cover today. All right, we're going to dive into concepts a lot more than technical details. I found that that trying to swim around in, in technical details doesn't really work in a presentation mode. Uh, some some types of information are better consumed with, in other formats. Um, we're going to talk about the kind of documentation that engineers really want, how to deliver it. We'll cover Swagger UI and how to use it. We'll talk about the Open API specification and how to create these specification documents. And then we'll get into some interactive documentation platforms that will consume the API, the open API. And periodically I'll stop. Uh, so feel free to, to throw in a question, but probably we'll, we'll address a lot of the questions at the end. That way we won't go into so many different directions throughout and they'll have, there'll be some coherence to this presentation. Um, in case you want more information, I have a site, I'd rather be writing.com slash learn API doc has a whole course on how to do API documentation. And specifically, what we're covering tonight is this section on open API specification and swagger. So if you expand that little section on the left, you'll see all of this information. And I'll I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but just letting you know that this is this is basically the written version of all this content. All right, let's start out with a story, an experience. Um, a few years ago, I was working at a company uh, in, in San Jose. It was somewhat of a startup, um, and we had this new new API that we were really excited about. Um, it was going to do all kinds of amazing things, and the product manager was preparing a presentation that was describing the API. The, the PM had a business background. He had an, an elaborate PowerPoint deck. It had great graphics. You know, it, it looked pretty sharp. And then he started to describe the different requests and the endpoints you could make and the responses. And you know, PowerPoint doesn't doesn't show that very well. It's like, oh, this is a JSON structure of a response. You know, it doesn't come across very well. And the whole thing was very static. Twenty plus slides and kind of high level concepts and the technical detail was. Uh, presented in tables, um, short little code snippets here and there. And as he was 
delivering the presentation to the engineers. As soon as, as the, the program manager stopped the high level part, their first question was, can we try it? Can, can you do a call? They wanted to see that it was gonna actually return the data that the, the, the project program manager uh, was describing. Um, in some ways, I think they sort of doubted that it was gonna return this information or maybe they, they had a special case and they were curious about maybe the project the product manager didn't realize uh, you know whether or didn't specify whether that case would be covered and they wanted to see how it would be handled what it would return so they wanted to they wanted to push buttons they wanted to try things out um, and after this presentation I started to think more deeply about interactivity with developer documentation and really engineers I'm generalizing here and it probably applies to most most people as well, but especially engineers, they don't like static presentations. They want more hands-on interactive experiences, uh, especially with API documentation. Why is it that interactivity with docs is so, is so key? Um, you know, this is, I've got another section on my site where I'm exploring this topic of how do we simplify complex systems? Things are really complicated. How do you simplify them? And I think with developer documentation, um, this is an area where, where things are complex. There's lots of different scenarios, different ways you could config, configure requests, different types of data, uh, different ways that it would be embedded. And so, if you provide an element of interactivity with your documentation, you allow users, developers, to kind of get this information through trial and error or just by experimenting. They can look and see whether for their particular type of information, it's actually going to come back. Um, the, in your documentation, maybe you, maybe you haven't uh, documented all the possible types of information and scenarios and a user can go in and actually just make some requests by putting in their own information and seeing it. Um, this interactivity is really it blends e-learning with documentation. With e-learning you often have these these courses where you try things out little by little you've got interspersed activities well with API Docs <coughs> we also provide this through these API explorers that allow users to try out requests on the web page, see what kind of data comes back. So let's give an actual example uh, so we know just what we're talking about here. The class, uh, hold on, let me stop and check the chat window. Okay, nothing pressing. The classic example for uh, Swagger is something called Pet Store, which is just a, like mock data. There's there's not a real pet store. Um, it's just like sample data that you can play with. And they have an actual API here. Uh, if you just Google this, you find this. So we're going to go to it. And I really hope I'm still sharing my screen after I go to this. Um, all right. Are you? Hopefully, if you're not seeing the Swagger Pet Store right now, let me know. I'm hoping I'm sharing my browser, not a tab in the browser. Yep, we can see it. Okay. All right, so you come in here, and now this describes the reference part of your API, right? Pretty much all 
swagger and the open API address is the reference part. And here, uh, the way they've styled this is you've got different endpoints. These are like slash pet, slash pets, slash find by status that um, you make in request to return different types of information. I mean, that's what an API is. You make a request, you get a response. And these are the different types of requests you can make and you'll see the response and, and you've, it, they sort it. So you could have, you could literally have hundreds of endpoints all collapsed in these sections. So let's, let's add a pet to the pet store. Come in here and we see, oh, this, this uh, endpoint, call it, requires these parameters. Uh, it actually has a body request and this is a, an example body request. But I could look at this and say, what the heck are all these values? To get a description, I could click the model. And here I could see a definition. This person, in their example, they, they don't provide descriptions for some crazy reason. But you can see how examples and other notes can be peppered in with the structure here. And a user can toggle between uh, a sample value and the description of it to get a sense of it. Right? Um, but the whizbang feature here is that you can try it out. Now, first, in almost every API, you'd have to authorize yourself. So you'd come in here, and uh, they have this authorization modal, but uh, it, it doesn't do anything. Okay, I'll just authorize. You can type anything there. Um, but now, your requests are going to be authenticated. I click try it out, and now this is, this is suddenly editable, and I'm going to Put a integer here like 20, I don't know, 210. And I'll call this um, STC San Diego uh, doggy, whatever, something recognizable. And now I click execute. What it does is submits this information as a curl request. Curl is a way to interact through the command line with different web resources. It shows what was submitted. I could also copy and paste the same curl uh, code into the command line and submit it, assuming I have curl. And here it shows my actual response that came back. It even includes the response headers. You know, so this is, I actually created a pet called STC San Diego Doggy. You may say, well, prove it. All right, so why don't we find the pet that we created? Let's go and use the pet slash pet ID endpoint. If you remember the pet ID, I think was 210. Try it out. And lo and behold, the response body has our STC San Diego, uh, didn't even spell that right. I think, uh, San Diego doggy. All right, so uh, it, it allows you to try these things out. And, and they've got quite a few endpoints, which is, um, extremely helpful because in addition to providing this slick sort of sample they provide a variety of endpoints some have body request parameters some have query string parameters I'm not going to dive into that but there it's a variety so you can go in and see how they're how they're described in the open API specification which I'll get into later so it's a great resource but this gives you an idea of sort of the basic output that you could get with Swagger and what what do I mean by interactivity? It's essentially being able to go through and actually make requests. Now, usually you would supply your users with a test account so they don't 
actually create real pets in their own pet store and find out that their house is overrun with unwanted pets or the equivalent. All right, so that's kind of an overview. Let's keep going here. What is the Open API specification? If you consider an analogy before you even uh, before we dive into the Open API, think about Dita because it's a great analogy. Dita is a model for describing help information. Uh, a committee got together and said, let's not have everybody create their own XML schemas. We're gonna make a standard. Everybody will write to that and then we'll build tools that can process these standards. And the same model applies with APIs. In the beginning, I imagine people were describing their API one way. You had one company uh, calling each endpoint uh, an API or something, you know, very confusing with the, with the differences of terminology. Maybe they called it a, a request, another person called it something else, and they had different ways of describing it. Um, and and at some point, people said, "This is crazy. We need a we need a standard approach, a structured approach to modeling and describing REST APIs, web APIs." And so, uh, initially, the the, the schema which is the the model for describing it uh, was called swagger but then at some point swagger became less tied to a specific company and uh, became part of a vendor neutral open standard and they changed the name to open api to reflect that so culturally the word swagger often still refers to the open api spec but really Swagger now just refers to tooling that supports this specification. All right, so let me jump into this a little bit more. Essentially, you have a structured description of your API. It has specific properties. And when you describe your API this way, different machines can process that description and do lots of things with it. One main uh, benefit to technical writers is that these machines can produce interactive documentation with try it out features. But there are a lot of other benefits as well. But unless you have this structured description where people are consistently, predictably calling things by the same terms in the same order with, with the same structure, you can't really have any kind of machine processing behind it. Whereas Dita uses XML, the Open API uses JSON. You can also use another format called YAML, which uh, is just kind of another way of expressing JSON, or vice versa, actually. But the basic spec is JSON, and the, there are about eight different objects, uh, and they're listed here Open API, Info, Servers. These are the different. Uh, these are the different properties that you're that you're describing your API with. Um, for example, paths. This actually refers to endpoints. I, I don't really like their choice of the term paths, but hey, uh, security tags and so forth. Um, so as you let's take a look at a sample one of these guys. Um, oh, I should have opened that in a new window. Okay, here is the sample Open API spec for the pet store that we just saw. 
you can see we've got the open API object here it actually just has one property info has several version title license paths this, this is where you describe your endpoints and you can see it's you you uh, list the 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 path the endpoint then the method and then you describe it and so forth and the parameters and there's a very structured way all this is described uh, in detail in this specification reference documentation but it, this gives you a sample um, if you had a really complex API you know this this gets to be long uh, you can break it up and you'll see also that you can reuse components so right here where it says ref this means it's a reference this is a way of doing a reference in JSON and if I were to scroll down under components I would see this part defined there and they decided to define it in a central place so that it could be reused in different different uh, areas all right uh, so if you are learning the spec what you will undoubtedly use is the documentation whoops oh yeah there we go Ah. Part of my tabs are hidden by the control bar there, so it's a little hard to, to select them. Okay, so this is the this is where all of these uh, fields and so forth in the Open API are described. They're on they're on GitHub, and the documentation is actually very thorough and accurate and well organized. Um, they made a decision to put it all on one page. So if you jump in here, in here to 3.0.1, uh, you can you can kind of jump around. And you know, as you're documenting something like the paths object, um, you, you you'll learn to see how this documentation is organized. It takes some getting used to, and in reality, I was thinking about this on the way home today. Uh, the way I think most people learn is they'll find they'll find uh, they'll find an open I at least this is how I learn I find an open API specification document that most closely resembles the one that I want that matches my API and then I replace it piece by piece with my own information each each time I make a major update with my own info I check to make sure it's still valid and then at the end I've I've got it and where there are gaps and questions and places that didn't quite match I'll go and consult the documentation so this is why the the sample YAML files are critical um, or JSON files are critical in, in order to write these things um, now they're different I should mention there are different approaches people take to writing these documents um, this might have been a little bit more common earlier in in the in the evolution of swagger but you can also annotate your code and then through different uh, swagger libraries you can annotate your code and you can basically describe your API with these different uh, objects directly in your code and then you can generate out that specification document directly from your code so if you're an engineer and you're working in code all day it might make sense to document things like that but at some point in time people started to realize that documenting your API in the code committed a, f a fundamental flaw in logic your API has to be described somewhere how do developers know what they're writing to what blueprint they're using to code the the endpoints and the logic 
you've got to describe it. Well, you've already got it described with your specification document. So why not just use your OpenAPI specification as the contract that developers write to, the blueprint that they follow in their code? If you just decide that, oh, developers, they're going to document as they go along and they just code as they want, you end up with a lot of inconsistencies that you might find a mix of camel case and lowercase and underscore and they decided to do one thing one way, a different way in another place and, you know, like endpoints that don't make sense. It's just a bad approach and it leads to APIs that get versioned a lot. So you release 1.0, 2.0, 3.0 because you haven't really got it right and then you have to support all these back versions and it's a nightmare and documentation is just like, oh, which version are you using and are they compatible? It's much better if you have a, a, a contract up front and you say, look, write to this and and follow that now of course that is more kind of like a waterfall approach and so there's lots of debate about about the perfect blend and so what uh i'll probably jump into this later but um people also use the this open api to do mock testing so you can uh, once you have the description of your api you can plug it into a service that will simulate responses and you can test it with users and make changes to, to this blueprint before you start executing the code. I mean, no, nobody's going to build a house with um, an agile approach. You end up with you end up with the Winchester Mystery Mansion where there's just a room after room after room and it's a crazy concatenation of, of hallways and floors and rooms. Um, so so there's some logic to uh, you know having a contract people write to. Uh, let me check to see if there are any exciting comments here that I'm missing. Well, we got a couple of questions. Does the developer create that documentation for the pet store to know what the paths, tags, etc. are available? Uh, so this raises a question. Who creates this, this YAML file, this reference file? It depends. Uh, Chances are you might be in a development shop where the engineers uh, are super savvy with open API spec and are on board and are gung ho. And if so, great, you know, ride that momentum. You might also be in a place where they've never heard of it. They have no idea what the benefits are and you don't have access to the code and they don't want to be in the business of writing docs because they can barely speak English. All right, so the latter has really been my experience. And so I create the open API spec myself. And uh, I also like to have control over the documentation. Um, and as I was mentioning, the preferred and uh, best practice approach is to use that spec as a contract. Now, rarely has it have I ever been in a place where they used it as a contract. It's more of a theoretical uh, best practices idea. Uh, ideally, the project manager should drive that you know and and have that and it should be this collaborative thing that happens uh maybe that's that's an ideal to work towards all right another question how can we as documentation team help support the developer with the early api specs specification document assume they're not go with that one okay um yeah if you have access to early designs of the API. I think you'll you'll actually find that you might have a lot more to say about it than you think. 
Um, a lot of times, you could analyze what are the tasks the users are trying to accomplish, and are these endpoints, you know, going to help them achieve that? Sometimes the endpoints are really complicated. Like you have to call, make one request to get information, to get a token, to plug into another request, and then that feeds into some other workflow that's just like convoluted. Or sometimes the the, the different endpoints return inconsistent information or confusing information. Um, you, you can you can really jump into that. Um, all right, one more question, then I'll keep moving on. What are the simulators where we can check the responses of the API? while they're still in development stage, like you just mentioned, the mock server. I'll jump into that a little bit later. But the term that you want is called mock server. Um, not because it makes fun of you, uh, but because it simulates uh, re real servers. I'll jump into that later. Uh, there's a lot of different platforms and you'll find much from Google just with that term. Okay, let's keep going. All right, as you are working with uh, the, this structure, I mentioned you could write it in JSON or YAML. YAML stands for YAML ain't no markup language. It's a recursive acronym, so it means people uh, filled it in, in reverse order uh, anyway, or something. Basically, it's just markupless uh, tags, basically without any kind of angle brackets so that, you can, so that it's human readable. If you ever look at a complex JSON, it's not really that readable. Um, I mean, it's more readable than XML, but still. People have adopted this YAML because it's a lot more readable. All right, so let's jump into something called the Swagger Editor. There we go. <clears throat> this is just one way of writing this, by the way. I'm going to dive into other ways as well. This is the techie code way of doing it. Uh, there are also tools <clears throat> that allow you to visually model it, almost like WYSIWYG form tools that make it make it potentially easier. But uh, this is this is good as well. If you're if you go to the Swagger editor, this will validate your your information and show you a real time display. So let me make a quick little edit. Hello. And you can see on the right it's showing exactly what's going on. Now let me say, let me make an error, type X description. Uh, it says, holy crap, schema error at line two. Um, now the error messages are pretty obscure here. Uh, you, you, there, there might be an opportunity there if you're looking for some open source uh, project documentation. And you were to document these errors in a way that actually were helpful, you would be uh, hailed as as very helpful. Uh, anyway, you come in here, and this is where I where I said one approach is to start with something like this. So start with this Swagger Pet Store, um, probably just a few different endpoints, and then go and start replacing it piece by piece with your own API. Uh, and where you get confused, like what's Operation ID? consult the docs and you know what is consumes versus produces read the docs and and make your way this way um, surprisingly it works try not to go too far without addressing validation errors because um, <clears throat> it may take you a while and yaml's space sensitive so 
if you just throw off one space like this, it balks at you. Um, and, and you'll learn to you'll learn how this works. Basically, you have in YAML you have uh, like a property, and then you indent two spaces below it for the next level of the property, and that's equivalent of JSON where you have a, an object. All right. Um, so the Swagger editor could be useful. Now, one thing that I think is quite ingenious about this whole approach to using a standard is that essentially you're filling out a form. You've got different properties. Remember the paths, the authorization or security, uh, info, and these different, think of them as like forms that you fill in to describe your API takes away a lot of the guesswork you know the blank page requires a million decisions what do I call this thing what should be described and especially if you're a tech writer you're going into this engineering space it may be really overwhelming what do what do engineers need to know what am I supposed to document well here you have a map you've got a form just fill it out in the right structure it asks for these things you've got to describe your path and you've got to describe whether it's a, a, a read or a get or uh, different kinds of um, operations and what are the parameters and you fill this out and at the end of it you've got documentation that is a predictable standard that developers recognize that usually meets their needs now it only covers the reference part by the way there's a whole other slew of non-reference docs that include you're getting started tutorial tutorial um, throttling error messages rate limiting uh, other kinds of details right but the reference is usually the, usually the core of an API docs uh, doc set so um, this is a great approach the other huge benefit is that uh, this approach standardizes you on terminology for the most part there are a tremendous amount of different terms in this space uh, some people call them example values or models or schemas you've got authorization, authentication, uh, security, it, path parameter, header parameter, request body parameter, query string parameter. How do you know what to call all these things? You want to you want to use terminology that makes you credible. And by using this standard, the Open API standard, you plug into that terminology. It, it's not a hundred percent covered. For example, the path. Um, I, I think that is one that hasn't really caught on. Like, what paths does your API have? Uh, no, people use endpoint end for the most part or uh, resources and so forth. Uh, but, you know, this is, this is huge. It, it, it's sort of like when you have a style guide at your work and suddenly you know what to call everything and it makes documentation so much easier. Um, uh, it's a huge benefit by the way I actually attempted a glossary on my site uh, for API terms uh, quickly realized that it would grow infinitely but uh, I do try to define a lot of these things and now here's the biggest kind of surprise of all for this a lot of people look at swagger they look at the open API and from a tech writers point of view we think Oh, this is just gonna help me produce interactive documentation um, but really the open API is more more than that remember I said it should be the blueprint and the contract that developers write to 
Well, if you have a blueprint of your API, you can do a lot more than just generate out docs. In fact, docs are probably the just a byproduct, an artifact um, of that model. You can also generate out client SDKs. What are these things? So the the API is a uh, the web API at least is a language agnostic way of interacting with with these systems of making requests. But a developer is going to use a specific language to actually implement it. A developer might use Java or Python or PHP. And in order to make a request in those specific languages, they have to use a special code in that language for how to make that request. It's not all the same. It differs by language. And some, some um, implementations require a lot more code than others. Well, you can generate out all this code that they need. And, and uh, the client SDKs includes this code that they would need. Now, a, an SDK can be even more tooling to support your API. It can be a whole like framework and kit. But it's basically, uh, how do I use your API in a specific language? I love your API. I love your pet store API, but I have a Java app. How do I, how do I make this request in Java? Uh, it can be used as a sales demo. Remember the, the initial anecdote about the project product manager kind of demoing it with engineers? Well, that was those engineers were like field engineers, but um, the same sort of scenarios work great for business development, for conferences, for people to, to really show it in action. Say, hey, this is this is what you can expect. Uh, it can be used for UX prototyping. This comes back to the mock server thing. If you've got your API described this way and you hook into some of these services that I'll talk about later, platforms, uh, they can generate responses that are kind of pre-canned in there. You add a sample response. So it's not like it's a real response. It's, it's canned, but it comes out of there and it looks and feels just like the real response and that's enough for prototyping you can put it in front of users and say is this is this what you want is this what you expect um, you can use it as a development contract again you don't want engineers going whatever direction they want engineers have way too much freedom and control right it's like they do things they don't tell you what they've done and all of a sudden it's a surprise at the end and they had the power to do it because they're in the code uh, you can also create unit test. A unit test is one that tests like a very specific unit, a specific part, not like a comprehensive end-to-end -end sort of across-the-board uh, test. Uh, but you can do a lot of testing. And then finally, the documentation. So some companies really get that, that the specification document can drive all of these different avenues. And, um, and they build services around that. And that's why you'll see a lot of platforms that are, they're like, they're they help you through the whole development life cycle because uh, uh, the development life cycle of an API because they realize that like all this stuff it builds on each other and it starts with the specification document that's why it's critical and, you know a lot of companies they, they don't get this at all like they they don't they don't understand that it, that the specification document could do anything more than just provide interactive documentation um, so you will find that you'll have to educate and demonstrate and really be a pioneer in this space. It, uh, sometimes engineers do get it though and, and then you're, you're in a good spot. 
Alright, um, let me just check my questions. Uh, you mentioned the API spec can get pretty complex. Could you point us to any real-life complex examples that we could study offline? Yeah, you know, it's funny how the word offline is used. It's not really meant to be offline, offline. It's just like outside the presentation. <laughs> and act actually, it's a great segue into this slide, which makes me think I anticipated the question pretty well. Um, <laughs> let me close these other tabs. I set about to build a tutorial for this. Now, keep in mind, there's a, another added level of complexity. There are two versions of the open API. One is 2.0 two and then they had uh, now there's 3.0 and 3.0 incorporates all of the learning all of the things we wish we knew uh, previously however you know how, how difficult it is to get people who have already described things in one way to move to another structure I mean it's like it, it's as if the DITA committee would come out and say you know what the task element, uh, we sort of got that wrong. We're going to modify it a bit. <laughs> People would be screaming. They'd be pulling their hair out. Well, fortunately, machines can automatically like uh, convert one to, the, one to another. There's a great site called API-Matic, M-A-T-I-C. And you just pop in open API spec 2.0, 3.0, and you tell it what you want to convert it to and it works really well anyway but my tutorial uh, walks you through these eight steps and I'll go to this here note that you don't actually have to complete them in this order um, part of and this is the overview that I point you to and you jump into it part of the task of documentation is to try to lead the user through some path especially when there's lots of different ways you could go lots of different options well you don't want to just say here just 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 make sure your spec covers all these different objects there is kind of an order uh, that makes sense and I tried to describe it here so I do have samples and if you read through here um, there's one that I use in this course it's like a weather API a sample weather API and you can you can see that the demo here um, you can, you can also embed Swagger directly into your site. It kind of looks like a website in a website. So either way. But uh, you can view this standalone file here. Um, oh, wait. Actually, you know what's really convenient is that anytime you see one of these Swagger UI or other places, you can usually find the, the YAML file and just plug it in. Uh, so if you were to go to that, you would see it. Um, I also have a an activity. I've been trying to put activities in this course. So one of the activities is create your own. And I suggest that you use this Sunrise Sunset API. Uh, kind of a very simple one. And um, there's kind of a very simple specification file uh, to give you an example. So you can try out those two. And also, Peter Gruenbaum, I can't forget him. He's got some great resources. The guy's on fire. He's got all kinds of courses on Udemy. And he just delivered a, an hour-long presentation to the STC Puget Sound on the same topic, on OpenAPI and Swagger. Um, and there's a recording. It's free. You can go to this 
yeah, I think that's this one. And you can listen to it. Um, he gets into more technical detail into it. So if you want more technical detail, jump into that. Um, all right. So let's get into some of the tools. I said that tools can programmatically process the spec. The idea is that you've got your, your API described. Now, what can I do with it? Um, one, I was talking with one of the uh, one uh, one of the writers in this area who attended a, a long workshop on on Swagger and the Open API, and he said, "You know what? We spent so much time just trying to write the spec. You didn't really get a sense of what you can do with it afterwards." And so I thought, "Oh, well, maybe I'll emphasize some more of these uh, tools." So the first one is Swagger UI, and we already saw an example of that. Um, let me just call out something here that I think is noteworthy. Uh, it's really difficult. This is the sample weather API. It's really difficult to describe complex JSON structures. So in this sample weather API, there's one endpoint called weather data, weather data, and it returns. This is a sample response. It's kind of long. There's a lot of data here. And to try to describe this is kind of a nightmare, to be honest, because you, you you have to sort of know how to describe JSON. And you can learn it from looking at examples, reading schema.org, or looking at the Swagger documentation. But even if you describe it, how do you communicate and present that to a user? I mean, uh, it's really a challenge. Do you, do you do a table? Well, how do you nest all these different values? <clears throat> you have like six different columns and like put the units one in like column four oh, that doesn't work uh it only works if you have like three levels max and what happens if you have a repeating element you know how do you represent this it's actually a huge conundrum well if you describe it with with this spec then people can come in and read the response through this display now their display is not perfect but I like how you can collapse and expand things. You can see, oh, count, this is an integer. That's its data type. Here's an example value. This is a description of it. And you can kind of sort through and see. Because, you know, as an engineer, you need to know, is this coming back as an integer or a string? And other things. And you can expand this. Now, here's where they're flawed. Because this, this response is so long kind of breaks out of, of the display. There's, there could be some better styling here. Uh, it could probably be fixed without too much effort. But um, that's, that's one major benefit. All right, now Swagger is created by a company called SmartBear, and they've got a commercial version of Swagger UI called Swagger Hub. And Swagger Hub is actually quite cool. I wish I could use it, to be honest. Um, I wish I could use a lot of these tools. When you work for a big company, they like to build their own tools. And it makes sense. But uh, not always. Now, Swagger, Swagger Hub builds on the same model as Swagger UI uh, in Swagger Editor. So it's got, and this is, you know, these, these models now, they're commercial. They're still quite cheap. But you've got the editor here, so you can... Um, you, you, you basically can validate your stuff while you're writing it, right? That's kind of key. But let's say you're working on it with uh, an engineer and you say, you know what? This is crazy. I'm going to add a comment and say, what? Um, 
and you can do this line editing throughout. So that is key, right? So let's say that engineer doesn't want you mucking up all the stuff or you you really have questions and you need to, need to put those questions in context. Well, this gives you a great way to do that. It also lets you version things. So you can have different versions of your API um, that users go to. And probably the neatest thing, uh, the output, this looks highly similar to the output that, that a user will see. Pretty much strip away, um, strip away the Chrome around here, and and you see this. But it includes this part here, uh, where a user can download the SDKs. So the user can download uh, client SDKs, server SDKs. This is, this is all the code that you would need if you're working in myriad different languages to actually make the request. Right? Let's see the Java, for example. I wanna I wanna be able to to make these requests in Java. Give me a little sample code kit to do that. Bam! I've got it. This removes uh, a lot of pressure on you to describe things in different ways. Now, whether these will adequately like help users or maybe just present more problems because maybe it's the auto-generated stuff isn't you know perfect, I don't entirely know. That's something you'd have to evaluate. Um, but at any rate, it would give people a starting point. You can also export this into HTML. Uh, you know, if you just want like a static representation to put it into your, um, I don't know, the rest of your docs. Uh, if you go to HTML, it actually just spits out the HTML version. Anyway, not, the HTML I don't think is that, that helpful and I don't recommend going down the route of trying to like port it in through a migration process with the rest of your docs. I'll talk more about that later. Uh, another one, Stoplight. So stoplight is interesting because remember how I had that slide a little while back about the uh, the different services that you can build once you have this specification document. Well, stoplight is a platform that really gets this idea. They say, well, you know, we want to provide all these services around the API, but we need to start with the specification document. So we're going to provide um, we're going to provide really good tools for users to build this specification and here they've got visual modeling tools to really simplify things um, so if you come in here and you uh, they have a hosted doc solution as well and that's what I'm loading right at this page so you can kind of see you know this is what the output could look like um, this part right here this is a preview but let me go to the home go into one of the API's and you can see here if I have um, some endpoint I'm working with, they've got it all in, in forms. So now you don't have to try to guess, well, what element and what was what were the properties it allowed? You just, you just choose it. Um, and it makes it really easy to add different, different things. Um, now, I want to play around with this more, but uh, especially when it comes to the JSON, um, that's one area that uh, like I definitely welcome easier tooling to describe that because it, it can be somewhat complicated. Um, anyway, Stoplight doesn't just want to stop here, right? You, once you have the spec, now you've got the ability to do so much more with it. You, you can do the unit tests and you can host your other docs. You know, they have a, a doc solution where you, you're not just publishing the reference docs, but you can also add your non-reference docs as well and, and host them there if that if that would be a service you would want. Alright, so check them out. Um, oh and here's a here's a sample site 
that somebody built using stoplight. Um, ah, let me go to it. Threat stack API. So if you want to get a sense of well, what is that doc solution look like? And you can see here you've got your non-reference docs and then your reference docs. Now with any solution like this, it's going to be they're going to be strictures in place, right? It's not as flexible as having all the code open to you, but at the same time, then you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure out how to build that site. Readme. Now, this is a huge uh, platform as well that's got a lot of popularity. Uh, Readme.io, and this is just a screenshot of the sample weather app that I've built with, that I've put in here. Readme.io has a very passionate founder who's into design and loves docs and kind of has brought all his skills to this as well as his team. And it also gives you visual building tools. One advantage with Readme that I like uh, is that, well, maybe it's not an advantage. It allows you to describe your API manually uh, with forms and wizards built in, or you can import your open API spec. I think they should just require you to import the open API spec. I, I think if you, if you manually sync all of your... Uh, descriptions into a, a site CMS it might not be easy to extract right you, you want to be able to port your your content but um, a lot of people use readme here's an example from the box API um, and the documentation looks pretty good um, it, it sort of follows this tri pane tri three column approach I have to admit I'm not a fan of it where you have like first of all where do your eyes focus on this they don't focus anywhere it's like You've got columns on the right and left both competing for attention as, as well as you're glancing in the middle. That's part of the problem with this three-column display. And blame, blame Stripe for it because they made it famous and everybody tries to model their, their, their design after Stripe. But uh, the idea is that your sample code, sample requests, are over here on the right out of the way. But your core information, your parameters and description of it is right here in the middle. And maybe that works. Maybe I'm being too dismissive. But uh, it also has this model where we're going to put the whole API on one page and use our fancy JavaScript wizardry to jump around in it. Um, I don't really like that model. I, I kind of like different pages because it just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just traditional or something. But anyway, you probably have a lot of different design decisions. And uh, README is, is uh, certainly a good good platform I don't know if they have other services they build besides just the documentation it might just be docs spectacle is an open source uh, kit project that you can basically download and and it will read your spec and it spits out a site that looks very stripe like or very readme like um, here's an example the problem with this though and you can see these different things the problem with this kit is that you can't add any non-reference docs it's like it's just going to process your your open api spec just you know fine if that's if that's all you need uh, but it can be used it's totally open source you put it behind your firewall it's not a it's not a solution that's commercial you know it's somebody just made it available and it looks great api matic is the final one here that i'll just quickly talk about now there's interesting notice the screenshot from the from the start um, they put 
you kind of build your document, at least from what I can tell, I've never really fully used it, but from what I can tell poking around, you build your documentation and then it gives you, uh, gives you your, your docs in like 15 different languages and the user selects it. And let's say you chose Go, you want it in Golang. Well, then the code samples will be in Golang. Or if you chose PHP, then the code samples will be in PHP. And the user just sort of selects it, uh, selects which once you get started here, user selects from the left what language they want. Say I'm a, I'm not a .NET developer. I'm an I'm an Android developer. Give me the code in Android, and all of a sudden, bam, uh, it's got all kinds of stuff. So, kind of cool, automates it, and lets users tailor it. So, anyway, uh, there's all the the tools. That's my last slide here before the end. Then I'll open it up to questions. But classic question is, well, these reference outputs are great, but how do I pull it into my other documentation? My other documentation is in Jekyll, or it's in Flare, it's in RoboHelp, it's in some other site. Now I'm going to have two sites? That's crazy. <laughs> so uh, I, I would say don't, don't panic. Uh, engineers have been following this model from the beginning. Uh, every Java doc is its own standalone output. Every Doxygen file for C++ is its own standalone output. In some ways it's kind of nice to have the reference docs as its own standalone output because it provides a quick reference. It's not sort of muddled in with all the rest of the stuff. Of course that makes reuse across the two harder uh, but it's the way it is, right? You're probably going to have two outputs. You might have a link that points to your reference docs and it opens up in another another file. Of course, if you use one of these platforms, you can integrate them more that I showed, um, but then you're using a hosted platform. So, All right, we have gone through a lot of territory. Let's see what kind of questions we've got. Um, oh, all right. You mentioned that it's unlikely that your open API spec will be treated as a contract. Do you have recommendations for how to spearhead this effort? Uh, if I did have recommendations, it would just be off the top of my head and not based on like experience. So I wish I could say that I know how to like change the culture and best practices of large engineering groups at any company, but that would be totally a fiction. Uh, I would guess that um, you have to start evangelizing and, and showing engineers. You have to establish some communication with engineers. Um, you know, I, at my work, we started to have this discussion about the open API and we introduced it to the project managers. Um, and so maybe rather than starting with the engineers, it makes sense to start with the project man or the, the pr product managers. Sorry, I mix them up because they're used so differently in different companies. Uh, because the product managers are kind of defining and working with the blueprint. Uh, they're trying to communicate to the engineers what the engineers should build. So you might have more success by, by showing the product managers, hey, uh, here's a modeling tool. Here's a way you can prototype it. Uh, don't, don't just tell the engineers to build it because they're going to build it the way they want and not the way maybe you want. All right, another question. From experience, what are some things you can do to help get the developers on the same page regarding the open API spec doc as they build the API? 
how to make it easy for them to want to help create this well from the beginning. Um, you know, in so few instances am I involved in a project at this stage that uh, that I, I'm sort of blanking on, on strategies. I, I usually get called in you know, two weeks, three weeks before when people are ready to go live and it, it frustrates me to no end. Um, so I think first you have to know when the projects are beginning. You have to somehow re go, you, you have to get ahead of the curve um, and then insert yourself in, in some of these meetings. Um, you know, exactly how you go from starting a project, communicating to the engineers what they're building, uh, how you jump into that space and, and present your input is, is a huge challenge, you know, regardless of whether you're even doing API documentation, just like inserting your own influence early on is, is really a challenge. All right. Um, is it common for companies to assume that just the open API spec is all the doc they need? Do you find it hard to convince them that they need more than that? Uh, you know, I, this this is one of these things that perplexes me. I, I find that in a, in a lot of engineers' minds, all the documentation is is reference documentation. But traditionally, engineers write the reference documentation, and technical writers write the non-reference documentation. We write the getting started tutorials. The Here's how you authenticate your requests. Here's how you configure the services. Now here's the reference docs. And the tech writer shapes it and so forth. But that's sort of the traditional division of ownership. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think people just need to understand what are the user's needs. That sort of user needs analysis needs to be clear. I know I'm not creating slam duck answers here, but we're getting through some of these with a little bit of ideas. Uh, what exactly could be a tech writer's role in documenting the REST API? Should the focus be on just making sure that the parameters, summary, and description are in place? Or could we have a larger role in modeling the way APIs are developed at the beginning of the development stage? You know, more power to you. If you, if you know, if you like can really provide solid guidance about how to model the API and how to design it. Great. There are a lot of resources on this. If you go to um, uh, Safari Books Online, uh, a best practices with API, des API design, you could ramp up on this. You could be a power player. Uh, if you have a deep understanding of your users, that could be tremendously insightful. Uh, and if you're doing this, you're probably already doing it. It's not something you just snap your fingers and do. It's like how you approach tech comms. So if you're able to provide that, then great. Um, all right, engineering requested me to step in to help with documenting the APIs they're developing. They're already familiar with Swagger, Stripe, and others, and are looking for me to provide guidance for the best way to document. That's why I'm here. What's my next step with them? What do I ask them to provide to me so that I can get started? Uh, sorry if you hear my cat meowing in the background. He wants out, but okay. Um, 
I would say uh, jump in and create the open API specification document for the APIs they've described. If you can get an account on one of these hosted platforms for it, great. If you just use the Swagger editor, great. I mean, wh whatever is in your, your, your power to do. But, uh, but you can just go in and describe the API with this, with the open API spec and show them. Um, if they're just looking for guidance from you though, that's kind of another thing, but, but this guidance uh, is something they're gonna understand. If you point them to the open API spec, if you say, uh, hey, this is the guidance, describe your API using these different parameters, uh, it totally points them to the right way. It's, it comes back to that form wizard idea. You've got a form to fill out. That's what engineers really want. What's the form? You give them a, bl a blank page and they will freak out. Um, now, they may look at the spec and say, I have no idea and I don't want to learn that. Well, in that case, you've got some visual modeling tools or you could just um, kind of create the skeleton of it and then they go in and fill in the details. Right? If you know that the paths and some of the parameters, you put them in there and they go in and describe them. Almost every one of these uh, elements in the open API spec has a, a description element that accepts markdown. So you can just jump in there and, uh, and get started. So yeah, uh, use it as a template for investigating. All right, I think I'm out of time. So uh, just point you to my end slide. My site, I'd rather be writing.com on Twitter at Tom Johnson or an email, tom at I'd rather be writing.com. Always happy to engage. So thanks. <laughs>